Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody, I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women podcast. Today, I'm joined by our impressive ambassador to France from Canada, Ambassador Isabelle Udon. She's had an impressive career and she's just getting started. Welcome to the show, Ambassador. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm glad that you're saying that I'm just starting. So <laughs> it, 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 people can think that I'm on only 30 and I can keep on dreaming that I'm only 30. <laughs> I've seen you. I think you are only 30. <laughs> and thank you and welcome to our listeners from around the world, including USA, UK, Ireland, Italy, Australia, and so many more countries. I'm also excited to share that you can now pre-order my fearless book on Chapters Indigo. Look up Fearless by Janice McDonald at chapters.ca. Thanks also to our amazing sponsors, 30% Club Canada, BDC, Lockheed Martin, Export Development Canada, and ADGA. So Ambassador, as the ambassador to France from Canada and the first female in this role, this must be a dream job. Share why you love representing Canada in this capacity and what you hope to achieve while you're there. Well, you're totally right. It is a dream job. And I, I, I do believe that I'm capable of saying so because, it, you know, that in, in life you have to believe that uh, things happen for a reason or for different good reasons. And I'm able to say that it's a, a dream job because it was offered to me at, at, at the perfect timing. I was... um. I was about ready, and I think that I was ready, but I, I, a, a few months before I got the call, uh, I was thinking, huh, maybe it's about time that I think how I could serve my country. And then I, I got this call, um, and, and, you know, as a Canadian and as a French Canadian, when you dream of representing your country abroad, France is probably the dream place because of language, but also because France and Paris, what uh, the, the country and the city would represent. So that's the second reason why I say it's a, it's a dream job because of where I am in life, who I am as a, a French Canadian. The third reason is I got here right after President Macron was um, elected. Um, and it was right at the beginning of his mandate, and everyone knew, and now I can attest, that both Prime Minister Trudeau and President Macron were and are still well aligned from the same generation of age, but also same generation of vision and thinking and wanting to change the world. So all those reasons, and and, and probably also a personal reason whereby in the last five years before I moved to Paris, I was in between Montreal and Toronto and way much more in Toronto than Montreal. When my home was in in Montreal, it was about time 
for Gilles, my spouse and I, to spend way much more quality time in the same house, in the same city, and why not Paris? <laughs> so all those reasons um, make this job a dream job for me at this right moment of my career. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to clarify, as a uh, English Canadian, uh, it would still be a dream job. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with you and would understand why. (laughs) So let's talk about women's leadership. You certainly have had so many interesting and impressive roles in your career, and now you've made the move to diplomacy. So what would you like women to think about in terms of career growth and change and and comfort around making bold moves? Well, uh, I, I um, I would go back to that one key word that is yours uh, and, and the name of your book, Fearless. I do believe that women are not less ambitious than, than men, but we often lack confidence in ourselves and confidence in, in, in what we're capable of, of doing. And it's probably all encompassed in, into the, the word fearless. Um, I, um, I'm, I'm one that was never shy of having to explain why in my career and in my life I made so many changes. Either that I was proactive at creating opportunities or accepting opportunities coming my way. It's not a sign of weaknesses to move from a job to another one. It's probably more a sign of curiosity and interest and, and also uh, of, of learning. So I would advise and, and invite women to see changes as opportunities way much more than as challenges and and again, in life, things happen for a or different reasons. And you have to go where your instincts are bringing you. And not to be afraid of leaving a job when everything goes well, that it's okay to think about moving on. I would say that too often in our professional life, we tend to change roles or look elsewhere when it starts to go wrong in, in your job. Mm-hmm. So all that to say that I'm, I'm totally comfortable with change. I think that I wear the label of change agent. And, and you know what? Mm-hmm. It, it's a label that suits me very well. I try to explain and to teach and to mentor a woman on not to be afraid of, of change, but to embrace change. And you, um, you mentioned confidence and that you find some women are lacking that. What's the key to bolstering confidence in your view? I would say that um, to talk about it and to listen to other women. It's, um, it's interesting that when you gather um, few uh, women in a room and you start talking about this that everyone would say, oh my God, you think the same thing and you're you're in the same boat and I feel the same way. And as soon as we don't feel alone thinking that way and that we understand that we can leverage each other 
So go for it. It's the level of confidence growing on women. It's incredible. So I would say um, networking and asking for help and bringing more women into your network and having chit chat and conversations about this. It's an easy way to feed confidence. So you're clearly a, a champion and cheerleader for many women. What about mentors and champions in your life? Have they been important? Oh, wow. I've, um, I, I, I often say that um, if, if I was uh, asked to leave everything and to escape, but to keep only one thing from my life, and I'm not saying one person because I would bring all my kids and my spouse, but <laughs> if I was allowed to bring only one thing, that's my black book, my Rolodex, my call it as as you wish, depend on the age you have. <laughs> but the the people in my network and the list of people that I can call upon, because when you think about life, there's nothing that you can do alone. Mm-hmm. And without a strong network that you take very good care of, it's very difficult to accomplish what you want to accomplish and especially um, very ambitious goal. So to come back to your specific question, I've, uh, I do have mentors and I'll come back to that category. I've, um, I know also that I have sponsors and I do my best to be sponsors for others also and I've been working with coaches. So it's, it's, um, it's three categories of, of people from whom you can get help, but there are some differences in, in, in between each. First of all, a mentor is, in my definition, someone that you pick as a mentor. I also often say that if someone comes to you offering to be your mentor, a red flag should 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 <laughs> right. raise yes. because it 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 should be up to a mentoree to pick the person she or he needs to help on a specific topic. You need to have admiration for that person for what that person he or she did, because if if a mentor is a good one, at one point she or he will deliver reality checks to you. And without admiration, it's difficult to take more tough conversations. So mentors, I've reached out to many people. And again, I put an ask to mentors because it's impossible to find one person that will help you at all time on every issues. Agree. The second category, sponsors. Here's the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. A mentor will talk to you when a sponsor will talk about you when you're not there. And a sponsor, it's not up to the sponsoree to pick a sponsor. Very often, you have sponsors that you don't even know that you have. If I sit on the chair that I'm sitting right now and with the career that I have, it's because I know very well that at some point in the boardroom somewhere, someone talked about me in very good terms and more than once 
to feed my reputation and that people that took care of making sure that opportunities were coming my way. So sponsors, not that you knock on doors to get a sponsor, but we have to be well aware that it exists and we have to know about this reality. The third category is a coach. Well, coach, the big difference between a coach, a sponsor, and a mentor is a coach have a client relationship with that person. You pay to hire a coach. And and really what's good about a coach is the person is professionally trained to be a coach. And that person usually has the distance required from at least your organization to have a more, um, I would say, neutral point of view and be able with detachment to offer great piece of advice or homeworks to do to do even better. I also say that usually you do hire a coach when it's going pretty well in your life because don't go and hire a coach as your psychiatrist, because a psychiatrist is a different category and we should not mix both. That makes a lot of sense. It's uh, such a powerful distinction about sponsors and, and our champions who are tooting our horn when we're not around. And isn't that a nice exactly thought? Well yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, diplomacy. It's the art and practice of conducting negotiations between representatives of states. How have you developed this nuanced skill and how can other women get better at it? Well, thank you for asking the question because if I talked about the lack of confidence uh, of often um, women, uh, the, the skill of negotiation and being less risk adverse is something that we need to work on and keep on working on because without being able to be better at negotiating every day, it's kind of difficult to go up the ladder in diplomacy or elsewhere, even in the C-suite. So it's a skill that we have that, that we have to learn and that we have to work on and learn from others. too. First of all, we have to keep in mind that a negotiation is not a war. The second thing that we have to remember is because it's not a war, each side needs to kind of win or be happy about the negotiation. So it's not about getting everything and not giving. It's not about winning everything and not giving anything. And, and and that, Janice, I do think that it comes with not age, but maturity also. Mm-hmm. Because to be good negotiator, need you need to have an ego that is a healthy one. Otherwise, if you're a way to center on your ego and what you want to win and not think about the other party, you'll never be a good negotiator. So I would say that I, it's kind of different negotiations that I'm going through in the private sector. I would say that negotiations are tougher 
And and why it's tougher? It's because it needs to be quick, and it's often, if not always, related to money. Mm-hmm. If it's not always related to money, it's often related to money. Whereby in diplomacy, it's almost never related to money, especially at the level of an ambassador. It's and and everyone will tell you never get into a negotiation with money as if you're an ambassador, because it's not your role. So you have to negotiate around visions, around ideas, around uh, policies. And what it takes is patience. It Everything moves slower. And I'm not going to say slow, but I say slower than, for example, private sector. And you know what? It's It's good that it's it, it, it and I understand why it needs to be slow, but for someone like me, renowned for my impatience, <laughs> it's quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. And and I'll open a bracket here. I always introduce one of my strengths, if not my first strength, as my impatience. My impatience is to me my first strength. Mm-hmm. And now that I have the age that I have, I'm able to manage my impatience in the right way. Maybe when I was 18 or 16 or 15, it was hell for my parents. But I, I do feel that when you want to change the world and when you're in a position when where things need to change, well, impatience is a strength. Well, let's talk about uh, impatience or... <laughs> how you feel about, because you're so passionate also about equality. Are you hopeful about the progress women are making globally? You certainly had a high profile role as co-chair of the Gender Equality Advisory Council at the G7 Summit. Uh, where where are things? Are you, are you impatient about uh, the state of women globally? I'm both positive and impatient. So um, I'm positive um, from... From my actual position, I've been privileged to be part of conversations with head of states as the G7 leaders. In Charlevoix, last year, I spent 90 minutes with the seven leaders of the G7 countries. 90 minutes of their time altogether on only one topic, gender equality. And only for that reason, I cannot be other thing than positive. Mm -hmm. Because it was a transparent uh, and very honest conversation that everyone at the table wanted to be there, wanted to learn and wanted to contribute. And were almost all convinced that urgent actions were needed to move the needle in the right direction and faster than the last few years, it, it, it moved okay in the right direction overall, but not quick enough. So from that episode at, at the G7 in Canada, and again in Biarritz um, this year in France, and listening to global leaders and having access to private conversations with those people, I'm very positive that the topic is not a side conversation, but it's now being ingrained in 
big global challenges and being looked at and acted on by many countries. I'm impatient because I do feel that too often there's only conversations happening, even if conversations are a good thing to have around gender equality. My impatience is around the fact that there's not enough uh, on the ground real actions happening to change things. Um, not to say that there's nothing that is being done, but I don't see enough real bold actions around the world happening to get the pace a little bit quicker. Though I have to say, and that's the positive side, I have to say that we're doing more now than 10 years ago. And let's wish that in 10 years, we'll be able to say that the new leaders that will be in place in 10 years will get done more than what we're doing today. We have to keep the pace growing and moving. The momentum that we have right now, we can't lose it. Exactly. And I was at a conference the other day and someone said for gender equality, doing nothing is going backwards because it's so fragile. And I thought, hmm, that's, that's interesting. And it says it all, because if we stop moving forward, it's so fragile what we have gained. And because it's not a total consensus and a top priority for everyone, other priorities will come and bump that priority if we stop moving on those on that specific priority. So keep that in mind and and everyone listening for gender equality not doing anything is going backwards. So well said. Let's go back in time. Let's talk about the 10-year-old Isabel. What was that girl like? <laughs> Where did you grow up? Uh, what were you into? Sports, reading, climbing trees? What, what were you up to? So I grew up in a very conventional uh, family um, with a uh, older uh, brother in the small town slash village south shore of Montreal. Um, I was a shy little girl. Well, I I would say that partially shy and partially bored. (laughs) Everything was too slow. (laughs) That I completely remember like it's yesterday. The worst years of my life have been probably between 12 and 18. You know, that period of time where you still, you have to be around your parents and vice versa. But still, you want to move, you want to shake things up. And and on top of that, I was living in a small village. So everything felt too slow for me. And at the same time, I was a little bit shy. So it was difficult to express myself around what I felt. And, and, and you know what, Janice? It's easier today to say how I felt at that time because I've I've been experiencing different things since then, so I'm able to put words on how I felt. But I'm not too sure that at the time I knew exactly that my impatience was related to the fact that everything was too slow. Mm -hmm. I I knew something was not 
necessarily well aligned to what I would have liked, but I I did not find words at, at that time to express myself. And and I grew up uh, with my father and my mother in the same house. My mom, I like to say that my mother gave me the right values to grow up and hopefully to be a nice person to to be surrounded uh, with. Uh, my dad uh, gave me um, that that energy to go for it and 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 have a somewhat public life. My dad was in politics, so I'm very much convinced that that portion of my personality that is bold and going for it is, is, is my dad. And what makes me pause and think about how to do things, I do believe that it comes from, from my mom. I went to public school. Both my parents were teachers in, in public school. So I went to, and I studied in, in my small village until, um, End of college. Wow. So Paris certainly is more of your style. <laughs> I was brought up in a, I said, a very conventional um, family where still there was a, a somewhat difference how my brother was brought up and I was. He was really the king in the house. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why today I'm a little bit an activist for that cause. <laughs> I'm not, and, and, and I'm okay to say that because I've often addressed this with my, with my parents and, and my brother would be the first to attest that it's totally true. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess it's a sandwich uh, generation mm-hmm. between, between my parents and, 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 and my kids. I, I was the, the transitioning generation on, on gender equality, I think. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, though, from you in a small village where you're feeling this impatience to where you are now in this remarkable global city <laughs> of Paris, it sounds like you're, you found your right spot. <laughs> but I have to say that I, I am as impatient as I was in my small village. So <laughs> I Look kept out. it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So share a time when you were fearless and how do you muster the strength to move forward in the face of fear or at least that uncertainty? Do you have a mantra, a favorite saying? How do, how do you, Ambassador, push forward? Well, I have a mantra, and that mantra is with me, has been with me for the last, I guess, I have to say, 25 years. I'm not 30, of course, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and my mantra is, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss it, you will fall among the stars. Mm -hmm. And it's all about aiming high and very high and not being afraid of missing the moon, if so, because if you don't aim high enough, then you'll, you'll, you'll fall, but not high enough to be surrounded by stars. Mm-hmm. And it's all about having high ambitions, but also feeling very conferable with having great ambitions and expressing those ambitions and going for it. 
So that's my mantra. I've never changed it. And I'm pretty sure that I will not change it between now and the end of my life. It's a beautiful one. It's totally me. Mm -hmm. I love it. So what about making tough choices? Do you have a strategy or a specific approach? Let's take the, um, someone will say, well, for sure it was not a tough uh, decision to accept the role as ambassador, but I have to say that it, it it was a tough uh, it was a tough decision. First of all, I got the call, and and as we know in Canada, and it's the same in France, but in Canada, you don't put on your wish list to become ambassador if you're not in the foreign service as a public servant, mm-hmm. because we have a well organized system and training system in Canada for young foreign service officers getting into public service, getting trained. And if, if one day you get the call to become ambassador, it's almost your natural path. Though when you're in the private sector, you know very well in Canada, that, well, not that you know very well, but you don't put that on your wish list or you, <laughs> no. or you don't go to Headhunter and say, like, I want to become an ambassador. <laughs> so you get the call out of nowhere on June 23rd. It was June 23rd, uh, 20 to 5 p.m. I was in my kitchen. I will remember forever. Mm-hmm. So then you get the call. And back to my first answer, you're a French-Canadian. You're, you're almost convinced that it would be time for you to serve your country in a way or another. And then you get the call and uh, you hear this sentence saying the prime minister would like you to become the Canadian ambassador to France. And then you you say like, "Hmm." well, (laughs) you know right away that you will say yes. (laughs) But again, you have to think this this over. Mm -hmm. And I tell women that when you get offered opportunities like this one or a promotion or something very similar, you don't have to ask yourself, like, am I going to be good? Do I have everything required to do the job? Will they like me? Because you know what? They've all checked that and your credentials before calling and offering. The only question that you're allowed to ask yourself is, do I feel like doing this? Or not, And that's the only question I ask myself. But asking that question raised a few uh, elements of my personal life, like kids. We have mm-hmm. four kids. Is it the right timing for us to move away from our kids? The answer was yes, because kids are between 24 and 36. Is it the right timing to leave my parents? Both are still alive and healthy, but still. And I only have a brother, so I had to have a chat with him. I'm only six hours flying, but still, you're not close as living in the same city. Mm -hmm. I also had to think about from a professional perspective, I was on a very exciting path at Sun Life. Uh, I knew uh, of few opportunities for my next step uh, within Sun Life. Everything was going well. I was performing. It was sharp. Um, And then you say, well, is it the right time to quit on this and try something that you don't know? So all that to say that it it doesn't sound that it was difficult, but I had to ask honest questions to myself and get answers. And I knew also, Janice, mm-hmm. that I would 
I, I was moving into a world that everything was slow. And honestly, that's probably out of the two weeks that I thought about this, it's probably the question I asked myself the most. Will I be able to manage the pace? And not because it's a fast pace, but <laughs> because it's a slow pace. Mm-hmm. So I have no regrets. And I can attest that the thinking I did before saying yes, I turned all the right rocks that needed to be turned. Mm-hmm. And I became ambassador. And I can tell you that I had no big surprises, good or bad. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it, was, it was a tough one. It was a tough one to leave everything behind. And to fly in November with your suitcases and say, well, this is home, Paris. And I don't know for how long, but I know it won't last. That's kind of weird. It is weird. (laughs) Yeah. But it brings a real, um, in a sense, an urgency to kind of everything that you're doing. Because to your point, you don't know how long you're there. Exactly. And that's what I say to my colleagues. Because I'm, I know I'm going to do this only once, I'm not missing a, an opportunity. Like, no, mm-hmm. nothing I miss. I go for everything. Not, well, almost everything. Yeah, as because the schedule allows. This life won't, <laughs> well, this will not come back. To right. Me. So I, I'm enjoying every minute of it. That's beautiful. So you have an organization that you started, Le Fe A. Why did you start this? What is it? It's um, impressive. Share. Well, LIFEA is a movement in favor of ambition for women. And, and again, I'm not the one that thinks that women are less um, ambitious than men, but we lack confidence around our ambitions. And um, I know very well, uh, go- going up the ladder, that if you don't work on specific things, you can point fingers at everyone not taking care of bringing more women into the C-suite if yourself as a woman um, don't understand what really you need to work on and develop as key skills, you will not be able to make it. And l'effet AA is for ambition, and it's not to become to try to convince a woman to act as as a man, but more to work on one, your confidence, two, to work on your negotiation skills and develop a kind of love for risks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the third one is um, work and develop your influence through your network. And I've developed those three pillars, not from learning in school, not from reading books, but really from my own experience and also watching women around me, not going for big challenges because a lack of confidence or a few other things. And I, I looked around, never, never I felt that I had the glass ceiling over my head. And you know what? Maybe a lot of people 
tried to put barriers in front of me, but I, I can tell you that either I never saw those barriers or probably I went around. But I saw too many women not allowing themselves to aim high and to go bold and, and fast. And it will be impossible to see more women in the C-suites if few things will not happen. First, we need to convince leaders to bring more women into their organization. But second, we need women to raise their hand and to be there and to accept, to aim high and to go for it as they wish with their own way of doing things, but not being shy and especially not thinking that they're stealing from someone at getting a new role or a higher role or a bigger role. So LFA is a challenge, a training program on 100 days. So there's a beginning and a stop and an end, I should say. And we work on the, the three pillars that I've mentioned. We've launched this five years ago uh, in Montreal and then in Quebec and now we've launched in September in Paris and Lausanne in Switzerland. And we have uh, 3,000 um, women that went through the training program and still growing. The first cohort in Montreal five years ago, we had 12 participants. And now the average size of our course uh, is uh, 300 participants. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud. I'm proud of what we've developed, but I'm proud to see that women are raising their hands and saying, like, I want to be part of Lycea. It's so inspiring and it's amazing. 3,000 women impacted by mm-hmm. uh, three critical pillars to really amplify their careers. This is amazing, Ambassador. Final question. This is the big one. What is your dream for Canada? Ay, ay, ay. Well... Sitting from where I sit, I would say that I dream that my country will keep on being open to the world with a capital uh, W here. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain. Um, first of all, being a diplomat gives you the privilege of seeing the world from elsewhere than North America. So I, I, I do now see the world from a European country. It's not that my that I understand differently the world, but I have to say that I see things in a slightly either different way or more wide understanding. And the second privilege that it gives us is to rediscover Canada not living in Canada. And when I compare Canada to many, many other countries, one of the strengths of Canada is to be open on the world. And, and open to the world means open, be open-minded on what's happening around the world, but also opening the country to many refugees, immigrants, and that makes me very proud. Because let me tell you, from where I sit, there's not enough countries having that great openness. And I, and I do wish that my country will keep on being open to the world. It's a beautiful dream for Canada. Thank you for sharing it. And thank you so much, 
our very impressive, generous, inspiring ambassador to France from Canada, Ambassador Isabelle Udon. Thank you so much for being on the Fearless Women podcast. Merci, Janice. Merci beaucoup. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, 30% Club Canada, BDC, Lockheed Martin, Export Development Canada, and ADGA. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to the 30% Club Canada for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. The 30% Club believes that gender balance on boards and in senior management not only encourages better leadership and governance, but diversity further contributes to better all-around board performance and ultimately increased corporate performance for both companies and their shareholders. Want to learn more? Visit their website, 30percentclub.org, and select the Canada chapter to find out about membership, supporters, and key resources. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.